Tune Shed, the workshop for everything music, from history theory, creative process, production, you name it. We're here to become better music listeners, better creators, and better music lovers. I'm your host, Blake Murray, and I'm here with my dear childhood friend and professional musician, Marty Gray. What is up, Marty? Oh man, Blake, get get your nerd glasses on today. Ooh, nerd up. Get your get your science coat on. <laughs> What's going you on? on. <laughs> <laughs> you if you could see me, I'm I'm decked out. I have research papers taped to my wall. I have graphs. I have numbers. You got any of those vials like like those little uh pipettes? Yeah. Yeah, tons of those and I and I have I have those um those globes that smart people have in their offices. Oh yeah. I bought them specifically for this episode. Oh, that's great. What is what a what's cooking? What is cooking? Dude, we're talking about something very scientific today. We're talking about what is perceptible pitch. Which Ooh. by the way is a great alliteration. Per- perceptible pitch. perceptible pitch is like perceptible. uh you could almost make it into a persona and perch it upon a precipice precariously every time you hit one of those peas i shudder Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> uh. dude we're talking about perceptible pitch today all right on, all now. right so Okay, perceptible pitch. Let's break this down. So this is going to be a science episode, and if if I'm guessing here, we're going to learn how much pitch differences you can hear and why yeah. that matters. Yeah. I guess I don't really know how to simplify this in a in a con- in a concise way, in an interesting way. Hmm. I don't know. I, tr- I we chose something very interesting to talk about today. Like basically I was wondering What's the smallest amount that someone can hear? Like the difference in pitch that someone can hear. Ooh. And how good can you get? And it sort of goes along with me wondering like how much is pitch recognition and pitch replication nature and how much of it is learned, right? Because it's a very common uh. thing. I mean, you've probably had conversations like this where you're like, oh man, some people are just like born with a good voice. I feel like it's something you just have to be born with. Or like... You just have to be born with good pitch. Right. You know? Well, sort of like. Yeah, it's kind of a weird thing because I know I, I'm just thinking there's different types of music around the globe and some of them have smaller steps in pitch. So, you know, maybe they other people might have a, a, a more tuned ear if they're used to hearing that type of music. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's kind of what I. That's the same path I was. I was wandering down mm. when we were when when I was researching this episode. It's like, how much can you learn, and how much does your environment influence how good you are at pitch, right? Huh. And to be honest, I I had no idea how much I was gonna find. I wasn't even sure if I was going to be able to do this episode today, um, because I was like, I don't even know if studies have been done on this, um. <laughs> But it turns out that there is a big volume of work dedicated to this field of study. And I hadn't, I, huh. I had quite a time digging. I was like digging through research papers, which, by the way, I don't think I'm cut out to be a scholar. 
<laughs> I don't think I could do it. <laughs> well, there's yeah, there's always a couple learnings in every every activity, and uh, I guess that's one of them for you. Ooh, for me, it was crazy. What did you find? Was it just like really dense, or a lot of it was really dense? Yeah, mm. and a lot of it already had um, its own lingo, you know, and its own like um, terms for stuff that were sort of presupposed. So a lot of the research paper were, were they were um, using acronyms that I think if you're sort of in that field of work you would already know, but I had no idea what these acronyms were, so right. I had to like go dig for the acronyms and like write them down <laughs> and try to keep them in my little brain. <laughs> we call that the academic ivory tower, making oh. research inaccessible to the rest of the world. <laughs> And there was there was me climbing the ivory tower with my with my cheap spelunking gear. I can see it <laughs> my now. My cheap rock climbing gear. <laughs> like I could do it. Yeah, is it wait? Well, is so, spelunking going into a pit? Oh, is that the opposite? I'm not 100 percent sure on this, but I think spelunking might be getting in a, getting into a pit of worms, as we say. Oh, maybe. Okay, I'm ignorant on multiple things already. Well, <laughs> I could be wrong as well, so chill out on that one. That's for sure. That's for sure. Yeah, whatever gear you use to climb towers, that's what I have. Yeah, that's that's the one. Well, so should we should we just give sort of a sort of a baseline understanding on like what pitch is and how it's broken down at least in music? Yeah, let's let's do that. That'd be that'd be helpful because there's kind of a lot of ways to talk about it, I assume. And uh, let's level set. You know what I mean? Yeah. Right. 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 So, in music, uh, octaves are broken down into uh, twelve semitones. Right. Okay. Those are the half steps you hear on a keyboard. Um, if you go, if you start at C and you go up one half step, you're at D flat. So that's the smallest. Um, that's the smallest increment of stepitude at least in Western music. Yeah. There are smaller stepitudes that exist, which we'll talk about eventually in Eastern music. Um, but for the purposes of sort of breaking down pitch in a, in a dissectable way, we'll stick to the Western scale, right? So there are 12 semitones, mm. and between each semitone are 100 cents, right? A whole dollar. And a whole dollar. <laughs> Yeah, maybe we should maybe we should categorize ten cents as a dime, like a pitched dime. <laughs> yeah, I like that. That's nice. Couple pitch nickels. Uh, sharp. Hey, can you put that tune that up a nickel? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I like that actually. They'd be like, "What? You know, five cents? <laughs> Couple pennies sharp? Oh, I like it." Yeah, that is nice. That might that might sneak into the to the lingo. Yeah. That's we cool. just, well, coined, so we just it, coined that. Oh, oh man. <laughs> that one stunk. Yeah. All right. Carry on, <laughs> then. That was, that was a stinky <laughs> one. I like it. Well, so there are 100 cents between each semitone, right? So if you go up 50 cents, <laughs> whole half dollar, then you are a quarter tone sharp. Mm. You know? For, for those of you wondering why I'm saying sharp and flat, sharp is what you would use to describe anything above a target pitch, and flat is anything below a target pitch. So ah. you might hear musicians say like, oh, that note is sharp, but that note is flat. What they mean is if 
a saxophonist wanted to play a C natural, and they were playing a C natural 30 cents above that pitch, they would be sharp, right? And so it would sound bad. Um, I think that's sort of... I mean, is there anything I forgot? <laughs> is there anything else? Uh, not that I know. I mean, that's pretty much it. So, well, well, maybe even a little bit of like... I guess what pitch really is, or here's what's coming to mind. So what pitch really is, is a sound wave squiggling. It's, is it the rate at which the sound wave is squiggling? Yeah. Yeah. And that okay. rate can be measured in Hertz. In Hertz. Okay. Mm-hmm. But yeah, for Hertz all it... is literally how many times the wave squiggles per second. Right. Okay. And then I think there's like a stand, isn't there a standard like a 440 is like 440 Hertz is an a, and then we use that to find all the other pitches. So, like, if you had no instruments and nothing in the whole world except for a little electronic device that could play an A at 440, then you could, you know, tune to yeah. Western standards, right? Yeah, that's 100% right. Okay. Yeah, and the reason why A is 440, well, we might do a historical episode on A equals 440 if you guys have interest. Um, But it, ever since a time has been what we have all agreed upon in the West as what an A is. A is 440 hertz. So whatever sound wave squiggles 440 times a second, that is A. Um, and it didn't used to always be that. Things used to be tuned to different um, different standards, but A equals 440 is the, the standard standard. Oh, okay. Not sure yeah, if that's so, even relevant to the episode, but just kind of uh, is another thing about pitch that, because pitch is kind of relative in a way, but kind yeah, of not. It is. <laughs> so it maybe is having a standard is helpful. I don't know. Well, I think it is relative. If you decide that 440 equals C, you know, if you're just in some sort of little musical world over in the corner in the 1700s and you decide, well, this is C, then yeah, every every musical notation is just going to be flat. So I get, it is important. Also, we I think we will talk about Hertz today. Mm. So it's good that you brought it up. <laughs> Wonderful. Yeah, it's weird giving a like a simple background to this kind of complicated process. Because that's the but, thing is, it all comes from history. So there starts to be all these things that, in my mind, they're just things I've heard before, but don't really know a ton about. Like, you know, like equal temperament on a piano, like. They, they ran into problems, essentially, when they were trying to tune pianos, and then they made up rules for how to fix them. <laughs> that's my, that's my, uh, the quick version. But there's all sorts of issues with pitch and, and how we communicate it, and is it relative? And it sort of brings us back to your nature-nurture debate. You know, is it learned oh, yeah. or is it innate? Yeah, and, like, is it cultural sometimes? Right, Like, yeah. certain cultures have weird pitch things that they like to hear. And there are just weird pitch things that sound good for sciencey reasons, right? Like, for example, um, in an orchestra, you always want the string players to play the third of a chord a little sharp. I think. I think that's how it goes. And string hmm. players need to play the fifth of the chord a little flat in order for it to sound better. I believe that's how it goes. I might Whoa. be wrong about that. But essentially, um, they need to adjust in some way. But why is that? Yeah. The chord sounds better to us for some reason? 
I think it has something to do with the makeup of the instrument um, and oh also gosh. the way that sound waves travel in a big concert hall. I think both of those things have something to do with it. This isn't part of the research today, <laughs> but that's just like something I just dug up in my brain. <laughs> yeah. something in there and I don't, it could be wrong. Oh, it that really stuff is be. so wild because yeah, you can really go as deep as you want to. Um, it, you really can. Yeah, acoustics is like on way crazy science. Yeah, we should get an acoustician on here sometime. That would Got be so friends? fun. <gasps> I do. Yeah, <gasps> I know the acoustician who designed a couple studios around here. <gasps> Ooh, that's idea a good idea. Strikes. We should talk to an acoustician about acoustics. Yeah, we should. Oh, I, I we need to like research questions. Oh my gosh. Okay, before we go down that rabbit hole, let's talk about. Let's talk about people and pitch. Okay. So, people, there are two things. There, there are a couple things that people can do with pitch, right? They can, they can recognize pitch, and tell you what the pitch is, and they can reproduce pitch. And those two things I found are very, very different. One has to do with a very specific part of the brain that is able to sort of hone in on on how many hertz exactly a pitch is and be able to tell you what it is or be able to say that it's different from another pitch, right? So there's a part of the brain that recognizes pitch and is able to articulate its differences um, okay. in reference to other pitches. And then there is the actual musculature of the throat that people have control over. And that's different, right? And so th right. this comes to... This is interesting when you talk about perfect pitch. And for those of you that don't know, um, anywhere from one to five people per 10,000 have perfect pitch or absolute pitch, um, according to estimates. Perfect pitch will occur in musicians at higher rates um, from anywhere from five to 11%. So at slightly higher rates, but not all that higher. Um, and in mm. some families there is a suggested genetic link to perfect pitch, which I can personally attest to. I know families with perfect pitch. Um, I know families with perfect pitch with kids that never studied music or aren't musicians. Um, interesting. Which is interesting, right? There's there's all sorts of little nature versus nurture things about perfect pitch. Yeah. But I will say perfect pitch occurs most often in people who had musical training before age six, according to some studies. Right. Um, oh, it yeah. makes me think it's both. Cause I swear a while ago on YouTube, I saw some guy who like was a pretty intense guy, but like taught his kids perfect pitch essentially. He's mm -hmm. like, this is how I did it. You know, like during language development, I did this, 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 and this. Um, but then it, it, it's kind of weird because people without musical training who have perfect pitch, like, where did that come from? And then the other question is, you know, oh, it occurs in musicians at higher rates, but uh, chicken or the egg there, right? <laughs> you have perfect pitch, right. so why not be a musician sort of thing? Um, yeah. Do you need a, gen a genetic predisposition to, e to even have it? Because there's a, you, there's a... Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, I'll tell you one thing. I was I went to band, clamp, band camp, uh, so nerd alert right here, and I played timpani. <laughs> Uh, and there's a, there's one of my friends had perfect pitch and I always made him come over and tune the timpani cause I was terrified to just strike <gasps> oh, the awesome. solo in the middle of this piece and it's out of tune. 
and I have I have weapon. a pretty bad ear. So yeah, he was always annoyed at me. I was like, "Is this right? Is this right?" He's like, "A little more. <laughs> Is this right?" <laughs> Bro, timpanis are so hard to tune, though. Mm-hmm. They're you weird. Know, they're so funky. Like the humidity in the room changes it, and they have this little thing that's supposed to help you. But then on every timpani I've ever played on, the little thing is always off. So Me too. It doesn't help. Yeah, they have this little gauge on the side where it says like A, but it's always yeah, it's never always there. Yeah, it's always it's always wrong. I don't know why. Oh man. They're just so finicky. Yeah, timpanis are goofy. They're a goofy instrument. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> you know, I've also met people who have perfect pitch but have no um they have no background in musical notes. Like they couldn't tell you what an A is in music, oh. but they're able to say, oh, um, the pitch of like that jackhammer is the same as this song. Like the, like the starting note for this song, like this pop song that we all know. Whoa. Which so, is really crazy to think about. That sounds very nature-like to me. <laughs> that's right. Yes, <laughs> that's exactly right. Huh. Yeah. So perfect pitch is cool. And I know a lot of people listening to this will have perfect pitch. And I don't want to hurt any feelings, but there is a difference between being able to recognize uh, a pitch perfectly and being able to replicate it, right? Which is why you have uh, people in choir who have perfect pitch who don't sing very well. You know, mm. and it's it's like those are two differences. So they that that I feel like is very interesting. Yeah, so they'd sing a note and they'd know it's wrong, but they'd have a hard time like literally controlling their throat to sing the right note. Yeah, yeah, huh. and it's people with perfect pitch that come from orchestra that want to sing in choir for fun. Those are very interesting people because they're they're used to correction like on a string instrument right when you play a string instrument you're very used to hearing the pitch of the string and then nudging your finger a little bit to correct the pitch okay so these people with perfect pitch get very good at singing a pitch hitting a little bit off the target and then correcting right Ah. it's cool it's fascinating Okay, but I guess probably better training is learning to just nail the pitch the first time, right? <laughs> yeah, that's it. So yeah, I have a really like... interesting mix of both of those problems that, you know, like sometimes I feel like I really got the pitch in my head and then I go to sing it or recreate it in some way and I'm off. And then I'm not sure, like, why I'm off. Did I hold it in my head wrong or am I producing it in my throat wrong? And the mix of those two things is very confusing and difficult. Yeah, it can probably be frustrating, right? Because you're like, do yeah. it, is my brain just not working or are my muscles just not working? <laughs> yeah, who's the culprit here? It's like si- sitting down two twins that are like mad at each other and have just painted the walls different colors. That's what it feels like to me. <laughs> <laughs> well, so... Like you and me, most people have relative pitch, right? And relative pitch is just your ability to um, replicate a pitch, to hear it, to sing it back. Um, It's what most people have, 
you know there's 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 no link between pitch memory um or you know a very weak link and there there is a difference between like clinical absolute pitch and people with relative pitch it's a brain connection that you make very early on you retain the rest of your life right but a lot of people who are trained musicians have really good relative pitch um and can retain pitches sometimes for certain instances in certain areas. Like when I was in college, uh, we would always have choir three times a week. And mm-hmm. usually we would rehearse three or four songs. And the yeah. first note that I sang in all of those choir pieces, I would be able to retain for a long time. Right. And I don't know if you know this, but most people, um, most meaning a majority, can accurately replicate the starting pitch of their favorite songs hmm right so you could use that right you know once you know that my favorite song starts on an a and i can always sing it then you could sort of get to other pitches right that's right yeah that's 100 percent true and that's kind of what i used for pitch replication for a long time because i mean i was studying theory so i knew my way around a scale so i could say Oh, the the one that one choir song starts on a C, and it sounds and it, my starting note is so I would sing a C, and then if I needed an E, I would go up a major third. You know, I would like problem yeah. solve my way to that pitch. But that's <laughs> that's not perfect pitch, right? That's really good pitch retention. That's really well trained relative pitch. Huh. Um, and it's what most honestly, it's what most musicians have if they play a melodic instrument. Um, right. You most just build singers. The skill. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you 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 build it, and you learn your theory, and you get really good at replicating pitch. You sort of sing a lot of scales, so you know how certain notes feel in your range. Um, yeah, and you sort of develop your your way around this mist that is what pitch am I singing? Like, <laughs> you know, you you develop little you de- you develop tricks. So it's interesting. It really is. There's kind of three components. There's the literal sound waves, so how fast the squiggles are going. Uh, Mm. And then there's labeling it. So, okay, I just sang an A, or that note was an A. And then I guess the third part is actually making that sound with your voice if you're singing or, uh, you know, on an instrument or some sort of, you know, real application. Um, And those are all kind of independent moving parts. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, and... All three of those things have less to do with each other than than I thought before doing this episode. <laughs> I see, I you know? see. Well, so if we're going to talk about pitch replication, we also have to talk about people that are quote-unquote tone deaf. And I didn't know this before, but there are far less people that are actually tone deaf than you might think. Right. Mm. So like a lot of people say they're tone deaf if they're just bad at singing and they want to be funny. They're like, oh, I'm so tone deaf. You know, I can't sing. I couldn't sing anything. I'm so tone deaf. Um, You know, and I I kind of always thought that was a fun little excuse like not to sing. (laughs) But (laughs) being clinically tone deaf actually has a name. It's called amusia. I think I'm saying that right. Amusia. 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 Um, but they so here's what I dug up um, 
from the Yukon Psychoacoustic Study. By the way, I should cite my sources before we go any further because there's going to be a lot of sources. So I sourced from a very large Yukon Psychoacoustic Study. I sourced from the book Musical Acoustics by C. Bertulani. Um, I sourced a ton of journals from the Journal of the Acoustical Society of America. And I also took some fun little studies from the Corellogram Museum. <laughs> the Corellogram Museum. The Corellogram. Wow, nice sources, man. Those are those are great sources. Aren't those smart sounding sources? Absolutely. There's no way that you could discredit me now. <laughs> <laughs> I'll believe anything you say. <laughs> yes. So what I dug up for clinical amusia. Well, here's an excerpt. The term tone deaf tends to be applied indiscriminately to a constellation of music processing, perceptual, and production deficits, which leads to a lot of misdiagnoses, many of them being self-diagnoses. You know, I'm just, I'm tone deaf, I can't sing. <laughs> got it, got it. In reality, though, there are few truly tone deaf people. It is estimated that one uh, or, sorry, it is estimated that only between 2 and 5% of the population is medically tone deaf. And there are varying degrees and types of tone deafness. Right? Huh. So, okay. 2 and 5% is definitely more than the 0.01% of the population described in perfect pitch. Ah, uh, okay. There's a lot yeah. more people are tone deaf, but it's not quite as many as you might think. So... Clinically, it is characterized by a cognitive inability to discriminate between pitches or musical notes, a lack of relative pitch, uh, for those who have been following, to remember melodies long enough to be able to reproduce them vocally after hearing them. It's also characterized by an uh, inability to accurately match the pitch of the voice to that of another singer or musical instrument, or to identify changes in melody despite having normal hearing. It is an auditory processing disorder in which the internal hearing of the individual lacks the ability to recognize when his or her pitch deviates from the desired note to be sung. You still with me? <laughs> wow, so there's a lot of qualifiers there. I know. I, it's a brain problem. You know, I kind of wonder if that 2 to 5% is a bigger number because of the number of qualifiers there. As opposed to perfect pitch, where it's like, you really have to just know pitches perfectly. <laughs> you know, you can right. you can either label it as a note or be able to tell or recognize that the note has changed or something like that. It's pretty simple and straightforward. But this this definition, my head started to spin. It's sort of, there's lots of different ways to test if you're actually tone deaf. Right. It's like, <laughs> like where's the threshold? Right. You and know? why is the threshold there, anyways? <laughs> That's yeah. what I was wondering. Um, well, it was fascinating reading about amusia or amusia because it described people with amusia as, uh, you know, obviously they they lack the ability to be to distinguish between pitches, mm -hmm. which for people with true medically diagnosed amusia, this made music really uninspired. And I had to think about that. Hmm. There are journal entries of people with medical amusia um, who say they're confused why so many people have an emotional response to music and they find music kind of annoying um, and, and monotonous. 
like my right? cat, because they like my cat acts like he hates music and i'm like come on get to it i guess that's kind of <laughs> rude I don't, I don't mean to compare people with music maybe your cat's to my cat, tone deaf <laughs> it's just like cat he tone deaf? maybe i don't know if cats like music in the first place but i know that like some <laughs> you know birds on tiktok love it and some dogs sing along too true um that's interesting though i've never heard like I, I guess i sort of get it like if the tones if i could distinguish the difference between pitches how would a melody be compelling right 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 i, f- I found that fascinating too i'm like oh yeah there would be no relationship between pitches so the jump between a third and the jump between a fifth would be indistinguishable it just sound like wailing oh my gosh you know it just it just sound the same Wow. it's kind of mind-blowing to think about especially a, like a musician <laughs> like right that's it's actually reminding me of something that is slightly tangential but my grandpa is a huge music fan um you know went to see the san francisco orchestra all the time uh you know listened to music his whole life a really avid listener he played guitar and things like that too but really was a music fan um at its heart and he started to lose his sense of pitch in older age. And he Whoa. said he went to the San Francisco Orchestra and it sounded like a bunch of third graders. And what? he like kind of like blinked and kept looking at them and was like, but this is the San Francisco Orchestra. They're not out of tune, you know? And, um, and so he stopped going because certain, I guess, certain ranges of pitch started to like the connection in his ear started to not work, um, which is super fascinating. And I can't remember if it was before that or after that, he had another musical, I guess, ability that was happening. It must've been before because he stopped listening to music after that. Um, but before he would, he would listen to a piece of music he knows well. He really likes, um, you know, uh, symphony orchestras and, uh, you know, Ravel and Debussy and, and people like that. Um, so he'd listen to it and then he'd turn it off and immediately in his head, he would hear the piece from the beginning start over and he couldn't Whoa. distinguish it. Like he thought that it was playing the first time this happened. Like it's, it was very clearly playing, but in his mind. So he'd get up, take his headphones off and it's going <laughs> sort of against his will. Right. Um, and then it would play all the way through to the end and then it would stop. Which is a very interesting Whoa. musical phenomena. He's got like an like an audiogenic memory. Right. And actually, I've heard of a, some other stories like this. I started doing some digging. And sorry, I'm taking, I'm going totally off. Uh, no, no, this is fascinating. Keep going. Off track here. Yeah, so I started digging and I found this guy. Actually, I think there's a book that has a bunch of these types of stories in it. But I found this guy who was really fascinating He's like a ragtime piano player. Um, And if you know about ragtime, it's sort of, you know, like one rhythm in your right hand, one rhythm in your left hand, and they're just doing very different things. So it's hard to sync up your right hand and left hand. Um, But as it turns out, he had this incredible sort of visual, audio, musical memory. Uh, And they did this this test on him because of all these amazing traits that he had. And... (laughs) They, they put him in a room, and they also had, like, a professional orchestra conductor in a room. And they said, okay, we're going to start a, a piece of music that you know. Um, oh, actually, sorry, preface. Before all this happened, 
they gave them five pieces of music that they hadn't known before, but let them listen to them and, and learn them briefly. So he had studied these pieces of music, presumably. And he goes into a room, and they say, okay, we're going to hit play on the first piece of music. And they hit play in a separate room. So he can't hear it, but they've hit play. And then through headphones, they tell him, okay, we're hitting play on the second piece of music. And they hit play. And then they go through, I think it was three, maybe five pieces of music. And then at a certain point, they say, okay, stop. Describe where we are in each piece of music. Um, and, you know, the professional orchestra conductor did a decent job, but was off by a number of measures here or there. Um, and this guy was spot on, I think within a beat on all of them. Wow. <laughs> and this is five different songs in five different keys with five different tempos. Uh, and he said he could visualize the whole thing. You know, he could go through the floorboards of one orchestra and show up at another one and like zoom in on the piano player and see the notes they're playing. Um, so this incredibly connected musical memory and yeah, sorry, I'm really on a tangent now, but it's, I just thought it was so fascinating. There's all these crazy musical skills out there that, I mean, that's probably, he might be the only person who has that ability, but isn't that interesting? My God. Wait, you said this was in a book? Yeah, I think that was in a book. I think it's called Musicophilia, Oliver Sacks. Wow. Wait, let me, look, let me look it up. Um, the Ragtime Piano Player, I think he was in that book. He might have not been, though. Um, Musicophilia, Oliver Sacks. He's a neurologist. Yeah. Wow. I got to read it, this. It's a really cool book. I, th- I have it. I can send it to you. It actually has a bunch of stories um, about different sort of interesting things that happen. You know, somebody has a hits their head and then starts playing piano really well and <laughs> something mm. like that, you mm. know? Um I'll try to find the name yeah. of that ragtime piano player too, because he's a really interesting character. Man, um, yeah, I've heard I've heard really cool stories about kids at the college I went to mm-hmm. who were able to just like hear pop songs and play them perfectly on the piano without ever knowing what it, what it is. Stuff like that. Like people have incredible abilities to <laughs> to, to replicate stuff. Yeah, especially if they know their instrument really well. Absolutely, and sort of going back to your nature and nurture debate. There is something that's built into us. Uh, you know, I think about, you know, the singer of the Red Hot Chili Peppers. How many s- lyrics does he have memorized? Like so <laughs> many lyrics. That's how is that true. possible? I couldn't, I don't I couldn't know. memorize anything like that, you know? And, you know, the number of songs that I actually know, though, is actually I know a lot of songs. But there's like weird qualities about them. Like I can't tell you the middle of you know, some random pop song. I can't tell you the lyrics, but if you start it, then all of a sudden I get going with it and then I might know all the words. It's like, how does that work? (laughs) Dude, that's huge. You know, so I'm in a cover band and we just started to, yeah, yeah, I'm in a cover band. It's really fun. It's fun to play on the weekends at like dive bars and stuff. Yeah. Um, but a lot of stuff that we're asked to play is like stuff from pop punk, like the uh, like the early two thousands pop punk, which is of course what I was listening to when I was in like fifth or sixth grade. Mm-hmm. And sometimes our bassist, who's in charge of all the music, will suggest that we learn a song. And I haven't heard of this song in years. I like forgot about this song. Like the last one that we dug up was "In Too Deep" by Sum Forty One. Oh my and gosh. <laughs> I hadn't even thought about that song since I was maybe in eighth grade. Like, I just forgot about it. But we mm-hmm. started to play it, and I pulled up the lyrics, and immediately I was like, I don't need the lyrics. 
Like I hadn't, I hadn't heard the song in maybe 15 years. Like no way. How does that work? And I just, it was like, it was just in there. Like (laughs) all the lyrics were just in there. I had to look at the bridge. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, the bridge. Interesting. Huh? Yeah. The bridge was not memorable, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) That's so crazy. Like, why did your brain decide hey put that stuff in the hard drive you know (laughs) yeah it's annoying it's like why can't i remember what i had for breakfast this morning yeah why can't i remember someone's name i met it's like so frustrating (laughs) (laughs) it is frustrating Uh. my lord okay so back to the regularly scheduled programming so the, the question we really wanted to explore this week was what is the threshold of perceptible pitch turns out it depends (laughs) (laughs) like always darn it so there are some limits right so let's first go over the limits before we get into the study so frequencies above seven or eight kilohertz are just by nature impossible to distinguish and the way that hertz works is that the higher hertz you go the closer together the pitches are in the scale right so like here i actually have a pitch chart that I'll pull up. So if you go really, really high, the difference between an A and a B in the really, really high octave is like a half a hertz. But if you go, oh. if you go really low, the difference between an E zero and an F zero is like more than one hertz. Got it. So it's just hard to sense? like, just based on how fast the wave is squiggling, it's hard yeah. to tell what changed. Oh, I actually mix that up. It's the, the, the Hertz difference is smaller in the lower octaves and higher in the, in the, in the upper ones. Oh, interesting. Which that, ma- that makes sense, right? So like one Hertz in the high, in the high stuff is almost imperceptible pitch difference. Oh, I see. I, I, see. I explained that backwards. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I am backwards now, but no, no I get you. <laughs> Maybe it'll start to make sense as we go. Mm-hmm. Because the the studies do a pretty good job of differentiating. Um, so yeah, as a rule, seven or eight kilohertz, that's impossible to distinguish up there. It's just it's too high. Um, seven or eight kilohertz is like slightly above where my s's are. So my s's are around five or six kilohertz. Oh um, wow! Yeah, the so tip of the s. The tip of the s. All all of my slibbins. My Z's and my T's. <laughs> but I couldn't find a low threshold. And I imagine I imagine the pitch distinguishability goes as low as the audible threshold. Um So I can oh. I mean, for example, like you can always tell subfrequencies at loud concerts, especially when they're reinforced by chords up above. And those puppies go really low. They're like twenty, sometimes ten hertz. They're like mm. You know, at the huge stadium concerts, they have huge subs dedicated to low notes. <laughs> yeah. You know? People love um, low notes. I love low love notes. People love low notes. I wonder why. Bass. Why do people love low notes? I think there's some theories about how it actually, like, moves your body. <laughs> oh. That makes um, sense. Because there's such wide waves, with, you know, and then with a lot of volume and power behind them, it could literally shake you in a good way <laughs> oh that's true Wait, i don't how, know though how long is a low note let me look i wonder so 
a low note is like E zero. E zero is like EDM sub. <laughs> that wavelength is one thousand six hundred and seventy four centimeters. How long is that? <laughs> <laughs> is that like a room? Long? Isn't that six, wouldn't that be sixteen meters? Oh. Hold on. Centimeters. <laughs> We're looking Dude, silly right now. This is embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> this is horrible. Wait, I just typed in sixteen hundred centimeters, and the first thing is in feet. <laughs> That's not yeah, a that good works. sign. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's sixteen meters. Oh, that's like well, a that's good a on long that's, wave. Yeah, that's really big. That's big. Yeah, that's well, like I'm imagining it on a football field, just pulsing across the whole thing. Oh man! Wow. Imagine that, just like. I mean, that's that's twenty hertz, right? Okay. So that's like, it, the wave is only oscillating twenty times, in a second. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. Imagine that. Ju- uh, yeah, that that makes sense. That's just like noise bumping into you twenty times in a second, like a huge wave. <laughs> I would love if you could see sound waves. Oh, wouldn't that be cool? They could probably do that in VR. They probably could. That'd be very cool. Have you, have you seen those big tables where they put salt on the tables, and then like? play music through a speaker so that it oh, like yeah. rattles the table and it makes yeah, these cool patterns. Makes really cool patterns. That's kind of the same, right? It is. And the, and they also do it with um like a cornstarch and water solution so it like bounces up off the speaker in these weird shapes. Ooh. It's yeah. Yeah, you're Ooh, right. That's I guess cool. you can kind of visualize sound that way. A little bit. I want yeah, I want them to do it in VR. That'd be great. VR people, get on that. <laughs> we well, command you. We we request it. It has to be done. So should we talk about the the actual studies? Yeah, the science. Okay, cool. So qualifiers two ju- two sounds are judged the same if they differ by less than a difference Lyman or just noticeable difference. That's taken from the. The Journal of uh, whatever, whatever it is, the, the Journal of the Acoustical Society of America. So that's the big standard that people use. What that means, let's unpack that. A limen or a liminal point is a threshold of a physiological or psychological response. This is tested when two tones are played one after the other. The results vary widely depending on range, duration played, training of the subject, and state of the subject. For example, if the just noticeable difference, quote unquote, becomes smaller if the two tones are played simultaneously as the listener as the as the listener is then able to discern beat frequencies. So we'll, we'll actually unpack that sentence in a second. I read that sentence too early. So the way that all of this is is uh, is discerned is a tone will be played and then mm-hmm. another tone will be played mm-hmm. and that second tone is x number of hertz or x number of cents away from the first tone and if the listener is not able to discern a difference even if there is one then the difference is less than a lyman or less than the just noticeable difference threshold oh okay 
That makes sense. Does that make so sense? Just how, yeah, okay. how much can you notice? Yeah, I think they also use a liminal point uh, for discernment of color differences for for um, people with color blindness. Oh, interesting. Yeah, okay. so that, that, like, the li- that liminal point is very, very high. Or yeah. very, it's very different <laughs> for people with bl- <laughs> color blindness. Yeah, that it's makes sense because it's like how do you – the, there's no good unit to use because it's we don't know how much you know it takes of change to make something noticeable <laughs> right yeah and it turns out that that depends on everything right it depends on the the what sort of range you're playing the two tones in um like are you playing it in singing range or are you playing in a really low range like subs or like really high range like squeaky person range okay um it depends on how long those tones are played. Like, how long do they have to embed in your brain? It depends on the, oh. uh, the if the subject is a musician, if the subject is drunk, where the subject grew up matters. Like, everything matters. Um, and everything sort of up? influences. Yeah. We'll get to that. Okay. <laughs> this right. is, it's, it's so, dude, I found so much. <laughs> this is so fascinating. So, um, that sort of goes back to the thing that we just said. So, if, the just noticeable difference becomes smaller if the two tones are played simultaneously. What that means is when you get two tones played simultaneously and one tone is a little bit sharp, say 10 cents or a dime <laughs> sharp, <laughs> uh, you will get uh, frequency beating. You'll hear a little like in the, in the, in the tone. That little friction. Yeah. Actually, you know what you know what when you hear it. You can do this. Uh, you have to have a friend who's in a weird mood that you're in also, and you can have them sing a pitch, and then you just swoop from a slightly lower pitch up to their pitch, but don't quite get to it. Try to just be a little lower, a little above, and there's a point where it just pulses really hard. Um, Blake, we and can I do, think we it's can really it right entertaining. Now. Oh gosh! <laughs> <laughs> you sing That'd a pitch, be... and I'll I'll sing a pitch about twenty cents sharp. All right, here we go. Okay. <laughs> I ran out of air. Did it work? <laughs> I think so. I couldn't really hear it. I'm hearing you through either. Discord, but the waveform <laughs> on Audacity is is really beautiful. Ooh, nice. <laughs> on my recording software, it's like this perfect little square. <laughs> like oh, I love worm. it. That's that's good news. <laughs> Hopefully that worked. But you heard you heard the the you heard like the little pulsing in that pitch, right? Yeah. So I if you love were to play pulse. that, I know me too. Well, it turns out um, that's how you tune a piano. So oh, you, really? you tune a yeah. So each piano tone is three strings. The middle one is is tuned perfectly, mm-hmm. um, with temperance, which we will talk about. But it's tuned to a frequency, and then the two strings next to it are tuned slightly sharp and slightly flat. Which Whoa. creates um, beat pulsing, and that's considered colorful and rich, and that's what? a good thing, apparently. Wait, how come it's so annoying when me and you sing it? For example, even though I kind of like the pulse, but like technically <laughs> that's annoying. Um, and why does it sound rich on a piano then? Why does, I think is... so. It has something to do with the fact that there are three, the fact that there are three oh. slightly different pitches is perceived as um, rich. I mean, this makes sense, right? Because 
um, when you and I, when you and I sang together, it sounded like one of us was a little off. That was probably me because I'm the second one. But if there are three, then your ear has a tough time discerning which is the original correct pitch. I mean, just take like chorus, for example, or doubling, right? So most chorus, the way it works is it takes the signal and detunes it a little bit sharp and, and then detunes it again a little bit flat and usually pans those two signals to each ear, right? But hmm. it creates this rich, chorusy sound. Yeah. You're also, right. I was actually thinking about choirs. Choirs are kind of like that. If, if anyone's a little off. I mean, everyone technically, there's no way everyone's exactly on the exact same hertz of a note, right? Oh, no. No way. I mean, they, they literally can't be because of this study. Like, the studies that are done prove that, right? Oh, yeah, because the, the, you can't perceive it. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, there are, there are thresholds that you can't live in, no matter who you are, if you have perfect pitch or not. You could get a choir full of people with perfect pitch. It would still be a little off. Wow. Right? And so that's considered rich. I mean, you all if you're an orchestra, you've, you've heard the example that a really good bass section is three people and that like a like a great bass section um you need three people because if you have two bassists it's going to sound off you've heard that before if you're an orchestra there's a reason for that huh that mm -hmm. makes sense yeah so do we want to talk about the thresholds a little bit yes yes let's talk about okay. the thresholds so um over the course of studies which varied a lot depending on where the studies were conducted. The quote-unquote averages I could find really, really varied widely depending on range. So for example, in one study I found there was one just noticeable difference at no more than 4.3 cents, which is a couple pennies, for the <laughs> octave of 1K to 2K, which is really high, right? That's like there. squeaky pitch. That squeaky land. There was a just noticeable difference, contrastly, of 40 cents, which is almost a half dollar, for 62 to 125 hertz, which is really low. That's like your, that's that's just shy of your sub frequencies. That's like a bass guitar. Wow. 40 cents. So the average person couldn't tell almost a, a half, uh, like a quarter tone. In this, in the near sub frequency range. That's quite a lot. That's really interesting. I almost couldn't believe that when I read it, and then I started to think like, oh, I, I've, I remember like trying to tune my bass guitar, and tuning it to a like a you know a perfect digital tuner, and the tuner telling me that the pitch was perfect, and me playing it being like. I don't think so. <laughs> like, it sounds flat. Why does it sound flat? It's because the human ear distinguishes pitches poorly that low. Wow. That's almost tenfold the high range you mentioned. Isn't you know, 4.3 cents to 40 cents. It's I actually crazy. would think it would be the opposite, but my instinct is just wrong here. <laughs> I know. I know. And for, for singing pitches, um, which occurs somewhere around 100 to 300 hertz. Um, most, you know, the fundamental singing pitches. The averages were more like 8 to 10 cents. You know, hmm. so a dime. A, t a tenth of a half step, if you will, for the average person. Okay. 
And this study was conducted over lots of people, both with perfect pitch and amusia. Wow. Right? So, you know, tone deaf people and perfect pitch and people with relative pitch. Um, the average was around 10 cents for singing pitches. So, let's talk about the modifiers, the, the, the outliers. It is shown that, on average, those with perfect pitch were able to distinguish pitch at half of the just noticeable difference of the average. Meaning, if your average for singing pitches is, is around 10 cents, per mm -hmm. people with perfect pitch, on average, were able to distinguish five. Okay. That makes sense? So, <laughs> so twice as good. probably a good number of people in a choir they would perceive as pretty off. Yes. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, they would yeah, that's why, you know, your cringy choir kid with perfect pitch always does the head tilt. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh. oh, that's terrible. <laughs> oh, it hurts. <laughs> However, here's here's something really cool. However, the lower threshold was the same with people with perfect pitch, which is interesting. What? Co with people with perfect pitch compared to people with relative pitch, on average, people with perfect pitch were better, but the the people with perfect pitch who were not very good at pitch, the lower threshold was the same as people with the average, like average people with relative pitch. It means oh. that some people with perfect pitch which I might add means clinically confirmed perfect pitch, were just as bad at discerning perfect pitch, or, sorry, were just as bad at discerning the pitch center as the layman. At low frequencies, right? At every frequency. Wait, at every frequency? Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. So it's not like, it's not like the, um, it's not like the JND was shifted. Right? It's that some oh. people with, with like, pitch memory were just as bad at discerning pitch as the layman it just happens that more people with perfect pitch were better wow okay Isn't that so weird? there really is the whole gambit here huh yeah yeah and it's yeah it's not like if you have perfect pitch you just double your score no matter who you are got it yeah you still have to sort of have some sense there right mm-hmm it is also worth noting that musicians were of the same result, about twice as good as the layman. Wow. Right? Um, I remember taking a test in college and scored predictably about twice as sensitive as the average. Um, and almost everyone in that class scored about that, about that. Hmm. Um, with the exception of one drummer. Sorry, Blake. <laughs> Dude, that would have been me. Guarantee it. <laughs> <laughs> it was cool they they played a sine wave um like a half second long and then they played another one and another one and another one um and they were supposed to be two different sine waves right in that in that assortment mm -hmm. so we they, we would label the sine waves a and b and a was the original and b was the shifted pitched sine wave and we were supposed to write down a b a b depending on what we heard Oh, so it's like randomized. You know? Like it could be A A B B or whatever. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and if, um, and the the pitches the pitch differential was like twenty cents at first, which was pretty pretty apparent, 
and then each successive instance of the test they lowered the differential by you know like three cents or something and so the test got harder and harder and almost all of us with the exception of of one violin player (laughs) um dropped out in like the same couple rounds wow which is really cool that's really interesting so that to me I, i bet that test probably exists exists on the internet too i want to go try it maybe after this um, i tried to look for it a little bit um and i found examples of people like doing it on youtube um like videos of people doing it but i couldn't find an actual like test that you could do i'm sure it's out there i, I didn't look very hard i'll be honest hmm. yeah and all this seems to be coming together to say like the musical skill of pitch perception is definitely nurture and there's probably a nature component but it's just unclear how they interact (laughs) like it's both but unclear how they work together that's definitely true speaking of nurture the one of the most interesting things i found doing research is that speakers of mandarin and other languages with a strong emphasis on pitch perception did slightly better than the average as well wow which is mind-blowing, right? For those of you that don't know, Mandarin is a language where, depending on your the inflection of the word, it can mean different things. Um, oh, and I wish I had written down an example because my buddy who comes from China once gave me this example, but there, there's, a, there's a certain example that a lot of Chinese speakers use. And it's like, if you say the word like, uh, it means one thing, like water. And if you say it, uh, then it means another thing like grass. If you say it, uh, right? So it, like it could literally be like the word Dao. But you say like Dao or Dao. Those are two different words. Right. Well, yeah, it's. I think the example is like horse and mom are the same, like, well, different words, but just the, the, tonal, the tone is the different part. Um, cool. But I think it's interesting you kind of did like, the one the one thing in English that we do that has some pitch to it is like our grunts, like uh huh or uh uh-uh. uh. I mean those I guess those oh. are kind of different sounds, but it's like uh you know they have like a bit of a pitch to it, don't they? <laughs> yeah, yeah, they do. And I, yeah, I guess there's the the whole thing about English where if it's a question, you kind of say it in an upwards way at the oh, end. All right. Yeah, that's totally pitch that too. Thing. But I guess yeah. it's just less ingrained in our language and probably by using pitch more often, like on every word or rather than every phrase, uh, you, you get a little more sensitivity to it. Hmm. I think so. Yeah, I think that's right. And I, I think that it, if there is any reason for you to pay attention to pitch, like as a young kid, like if you're singing all the time, or playing mm-hmm. an instrument, or learning Mandarin, <laughs> or listening to a bunch of music, then I, it would it would suggest that your tuning is just inherently better. You know, and there is so much about this, right? So if you're if you're interested in in just looking at how much there is, just Google JND perceptible pitch and see what pops up. The studies get really wacky, right? It's like measuring the difference when tones go up. Um, as opposed to down, like how long the tone is played. Is there a difference in J and D when distortion is introduced? 
Like, what about if you increase the volume of the second and third harmonic? Does that change? Um, all sorts of like really weird stuff. Like there is so oh. much. Actually, that was one of the first things that I thought of in this episode was, or when you mentioned, you know, two pitches and telling the difference. What about saturation? Like, would yep. you have a higher, would you notice uh, a, a difference better on a clarinet or on a trumpet? You know, just because they're different sounds. So curious. I know. Yeah, it's it's incredible. I have no idea. Yeah, most of these, like, perceptible pitch studies were done with pure sine waves. Right? Right. For those of Which you curious like about what a sine wave is, it's a um, the dial tone on a phone. Burp. That's a sine wave. Mm. very basic it has no color to it you know like what yep. makes a sine wave and a clarinet sound different if they're playing the same note is uh all the other pitches sort of imbued into the clarinet note where the sine wave is like one pure pitch yeah yeah the sine wave is beautiful pure unadulterated <laughs> <laughs> great for studies uh, I think there's a takeaway to all this though and I think this is the real reason why I wanted to talk about this or at least explore it is because pitch perception and pitch replication is a skill right and unless you have a medically diagnosed amusia which let's be honest you probably wouldn't be listening to this podcast if you had amusia it it helps to train your pitch perception right and it can be done mm. um you don't yeah, have us. to be a musician or have been learning music to train it. And I know that because I used to music direct an acapella group in college and literally got to see pitch replication get better over the semester <laughs> with all these kids. Like most of these kids in this acapella group were like computer science majors, to be honest. That like wow. didn't in high school, but we would do a ton of pitch exercises, right? Um, mm -hmm. So... You know, uh, uh, some suggestions on how to get better at this. Um, sing one of your favorite songs. You know, g give yourself a good starting note, like the starting note of the song on a piano, so at least you have A equals 440 tuning. <laughs> and sing into a pitch software and see what it picks up, right? And try to sing it as pure and, and as, you know, uh, unadorned as possible. Um so if you have Melodyne, try singing a song and then importing it into Melodyne. If you have um, like Waves Tune or if you have Flex Pitch, um, try singing it into a software that tells you what pitch you sang. Because then you can see idea. that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, I, I've done that. You know, I sing into Logic and I look at what the pitch is after, but I've never like tried to use that as a training tool I'm like oh it looks like you keep hitting this note a little flat let's just try to get that a little bit higher and you know go back and forth on that that sounds kind of fun yeah or there's there's that fun thing that you can do where you practice remembering the pitch of your favorite song so mm. if like a song is stuck in your head just try and guess what the starting pitch is and then play the song and see if you got it right Ooh. that's a great that's a, like a great little way of <laughs> of practicing that <laughs> Wow, I kind of want to do that with the uh, the Tune Shed uh, <laughs> theme song. What do you think it is? Um, oh, what is the first note though? I feel like I remember the the end first. 
or the end better, I should say. So what's the end? What's the end? No, maybe it's higher than that. Now that, I, now that I, see, now I think I'm having that thing where I reproduced it wrong. You know, <laughs> that was higher that time. Ooh, I don't know. <laughs> what do you think? I think it's um. That's what I think. Ooh, that sounds better to me. <laughs> I, I wonder. If, I wonder. How can we test it right now? We, we can go to work. Spotify. Oh yeah. Let's let's pull up one of our episodes. <laughs> <laughs> are you well? Are you gonna do it or should I? Uh, you should do it. You should do it. I'll can do you it. play it through the through so the whole world can hear? I don't think so, but I can at least tell you. <laughs> I could I could tell you if it's right. That's my guess, and the answer is. It's a So that's like way higher than I sang, isn't it? I think you you may have sang either a fourth or a major third lower. Interesting. Which isn't too shabby, as far as relative pitch goes. But I wonder also, if it's I was not, in tune lower or not too. That's kind of an interesting idea. Oh yeah, I don't know. But also, it's it's like not your favorite song. How do you know? <laughs> That's true. I guess I don't know. <laughs> I love the Toon Jet theme song. <laughs> I do sing it like, or I'll like be laying around in bed after this and just, it'll be like turning over in my sleep like, oh, it's the Toon <laughs> You know? <laughs> I guess I do, it like pops into my head whenever I feel like I have to start researching something. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty catchy i gotta say i you know hats uh, off to you in writing that it's um i also my favorite thing is that it just fades forever i think that's brilliant <laughs> uh thanks man An- another way you can develop your 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 pitch perception skill is mm-hmm. plop a tuner plug in on stuff so if you have ableton there is a built-in tuner uh, app that you can just, it's a plugin, you just pop into it and it's a visualizer, it's not, it's wonderful. Oh. Um, but you can download free ones that visualize. You can also download apps on your phone and sing into them. Um, you can be listening to a song, stop the song, sing the tonic of the chord, or sing some note in the scale and see how far away you are from perfect. Ooh, okay, that's, that's a brilliant idea because I, I, I've had that idea before, but the thing I was doing wrong is you pull up the tuner app, you start singing into it, and because you're singing in real time and hitting different notes and transitioning between notes, the needle just goes crazy, and so yeah. you're not really getting anything back. So that's way better idea to listen to a song and say, okay, what is the tonic? What is like, you know, the fifth note in the scale? And then just sing that and see if you nail it. That's Wow, I'm going to do that. That's a, that's a really good idea. Yeah, yeah, that can, that can help really quick. And once you get kind of good at that, Try singing a scale really slowly and go up the scale. Go like, go up to Mm -hmm. the octave and then start going down slowly and see where you land again. Whoa. If you make it back, back home, so to speak. (laughs) Yep. And how sharp you'll be. 
because most people when they go down the scale they don't make it all the way back down that's if there's if there's no reference if they're just singing it a cappella with no backing information oh i suppose another thing you could do i don't know if you ever do this marty but uh so you're playing a song start singing along with it pause the song go a cappella for a while and then see if you land back on target or not Ooh, right that's a good idea too it kind of like feels that. like walking through a room like and then having to like shut your eyes for a second and see if you make it to the other side, you know? Yeah. Or if you like start <laughs> yeah. veering off right or left. <laughs> That's what it feels like to me. I like as soon as there's nothing to give me a pitch, I feel lost and sort of like sticking my hands out trying to feel things. Oh my lord. Yeah, it's um <laughs> I sing in a church choir for money and the organist for our church choir she like needs to play all of the acapella stuff because our church choir is so bad. Oh no! <laughs> so she, like all of the acapella stuff, she has to play along because we'll we'll just go too off pitch too quickly. Don't organs <laughs> so like, like already are playing right hand, left hand, and your feet? Like how are you supposed to play a whole another line on top of? Oh, that? I don't know. She's in, she's incredible. I don't. <laughs> I don't know how she does it. Yeah, she Very she impressive. plays like she has eight limbs, man. Yeah. Like the octopus in um, uh, Pirates of the Caribbean, the octopus guy <gasps> who plays the organ. Oh yeah, so cool. Yeah, organ is a good instrument for an octopus. Oh my god, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Man, dang, those are great suggestions though. I, I I I really honed in on them because that's something I've always tried to practice, but kind of just lost interest in and and don't practice enough. And it's honestly kind of like my biggest weak spot in music um you know i took some theory classes in college oh my gosh the ear training parts and the the replication parts i was always just barely making it through <laughs> man yeah oral training is brutal but it, man, so hard. you'd be so surprised how good you can get in a very short amount of time like even as a trained musician yeah like for example in in oral theory one um, you're given a scale and a key, like they get, they say, okay, we're going to play this, uh, we're going to play this in A. And so that then they give you an A chord on the piano and then they play a melody and they ask you to write it down, right? Simple enough. Um, most musicians can just do that if you know how to, you know, read or, and write sheet music. By the time mm -hmm. you get to like graduate level oral theory, which is what I was taking senior year, they play this weird atonal thing and they only give you a C so they don't give you a key or anything they give you C and then they play this atonal thing and you have like five seconds to verbalize the pitches played in order wait it's that's insane. like what perfect pitch would be able to you know you have no reference it's just the only reference they give you is by playing C so they ground you. They like, you know, they center you with what with one pitch. But then they just they go and you don't get time to think about it. You don't get a rerun. <laughs> you don't get a piece of paper. You just have to say like B flat B you, you have to like list the pitches. Wow. I mean, I suppose and, if you can do that under a time crunch, you have perfect relative pitch right like there's no other test that they could do like yeah right yeah it just really all depends on how quick you are so you, you need to know your 
uh, your jumps really well. <laughs> that makes me sweat, you know, because the thing is, it was horrible to do it that fast. So would you go, okay, I hear C. Okay. The second note is, let's just say a major third up and then we're going a minor sixth down, you know, and then jumping around. Would you do that? Or would you say, okay, C, okay. Major third up. Oh, the second note was this much lower than C like always relate back to C. Yeah. Yeah. You sort of, each pitch depends on what came before it. Oh, okay. So you go linearly through. Yeah. Yeah. I guess, I guess actually sometimes I wouldn't be able to hear the, hear the jump correctly. So then I, then I would like remember the C Oh. And reground myself. Yeah, I guess you're right. Some like sometimes if I was having trouble, C would help me. Yeah, if you're lost, you use C to sort of double check. You're like, oh well, that was definitely this amount lower than C. So and the other note was this amount higher. So then you kind of like triangulate. Wow, dude, I'm so impressed. That's crazy. It was insane, dude. I I don't know. I I took pretty high level theory in college because I took so much music theory in high school. Mm. Um, that might have screwed me because I was like definitely one of the worst <laughs> as far as like RL training and all that stuff. I was right, behind the curve for sure. A lot of it takes a long time to develop, I feel like. Where theory, yeah. you can kind of learn the theory quickly, but if you didn't develop the skill with it, <laughs> yeah, at least that's what it felt like for me in school. It's like I learned, I, I get the concept, but then like putting it into action was pretty much impossible. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like written theory is booky. You can study it and you can memorize right. it and like write flashcards and stuff. And, but as far as oral training, like that's all just your brain, bro. That's like, how smart are you? <laughs> <sighs> Not that smart at that stuff. I actually remember doing some of like, so I was learning theory and then you know, you do these things, okay, what chord is this? You know, what's happening in this piece of music? Analyze it, right? How does it fit into the scale? Are they changing keys? And I just treated it like it was math. Like, I I didn't use any reference of, oh, that's kind of a weird chord progression. Maybe something's wrong here. I, like, I never double-checked myself in that way. It was always just, like, I'm automatic. Like, I just check the notes in a certain order. You know, okay, those are the notes of that chord. So I'm going to write that down. You know, it was very... <laughs> Uh, robotic <laughs> yeah well i mean that's fine that's fine in an academic you know sense right that's okay like you're i mean you're you're using your brain to problem solve right but then you're jamming with your friends and you're like hey what chord are you playing and you can't figure it out that's true that's <laughs> so true you know okay i have some beef with choral directors Ooh. i love choral direct- i love you i love you choral directors <laughs> i love you guys but you do this thing where to teach jumps to people, you give, I you give examples from songs, and oh, I always yeah. thought that was a little silly. Here's why, and I can explain. So, for example, the way that every choir director teaches the fourth, the um, is here comes the bride, da na na na. That's a fourth, mm. and it it's funny because. Whenever there's a fourth jump that a student has to sight read, no matter where it comes in the scale, the choir director will play Here Comes the Bride on the piano, no matter where it lies in the scale. You'll notice, though, that da 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 is 5 1 1 1, 5 2 7 1, right? Or so do do do, so re ti do. 
but those uh-huh. are those are specific pitches. But if you need to go from one to four, you need to reorient the chords of "Here Comes the Bride" to the new key. Oh so, no! Da, 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 da. Yeah. If you want, if you and if you want to start in that note, you have to go ba da da da, which is a new key. Da, na, na, na. Which is almost hard. Like to me, it's harder to change keys than it is to say, you know, sing up the key. You know, just stay staying within one key is much easier and jumping around than switching keys. Right. And I mean, credit to choral directors. I don't know of a better way to teach that. I feel like that's probably <laughs> the best way <laughs> to teach to teach jumps like that. But it's there's there's a problem with it. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah, that's a really good point. That, that that totally is a problem and you just it's a shortcut to to teach it to you a first time, but then it becomes a crutch and it once it's a crutch, it's not functional out there in the music world. Just kind of like my like how I was doing this is probably how you got to this, but you know, treating theory like math. You can do it kind of in a mathematical way. Everything's labeled 1 through 7. Um, but it doesn't really functionally apply to the world of music that well when you're actually making music or playing music. Yeah, I so agree. I so agree. But yeah, again, Dang. I I don't know of a better way. <laughs> I don't yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I love Probably it. Probably Solfege. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Solfege Solfege is hard too. So how do you train Solfege? Dude, Solfege is hard. You just have to do it a lot. You mm. know? So the I mean in choir, we always used to do warm ups. You know, we always go do re mi fa sol la ti do do ti la so fa mi re do. So we would go go up and down the scale, and then mm-hmm. of course that gets more complicated. Like do mi re fa mi sol fa la sol ti la do ti re do. <laughs> I can still do it. That's, I had to think about it though. <laughs> I stumbled a little bit. <laughs> I heard you think. I'm, yeah, I'm I glad was you're like, not making Ooh. me do any of this because I <laughs> can't. <laughs> I should be able to be. I, oh my god, we should be able. But we we would have to sight read stuff in music on solfege. So that's how you get really good. Ooh, wow! And for a that's while, impressive. I was I was doing um like pro choir work. So I would ha- I had this like little book of sight reading examples that I would practice. I'd like give myself a starting note and be like do re mi so la so fa mi you know it's like whatever right. that's how that's how you get good at solfege that's nice because then you then you can kind of just do it you know when you're walking in between classes or whatever yeah yeah it's an easy way to brush up and again that stuff you get really good at that stuff really quick if you practice it's surprising how good you get huh yeah, okay so actually i have a challenge for the listeners and maybe i'll do this too I guess the advantage of solfege, right, is to associate like a sound or a word, I guess you could call it a word, with a note in a scale. That's the advantage, right? Absolutely. Yeah, and that that can work with numbers too. I like numbers um, because numbers are sort of transferable. And it's just easier to remember like you kind of have to learn a whole new set of language attachments for solfege like most people you say like ray is the second one you know ray is the second but they won't remember that and it'll take more brain power to remember that but if you just say two then you know it's the second scale degree right so i like i don't know i always have liked numbers i think solfege is really nice for choir but numbers are really nice for people who do production and who like 
want to work their way around, around a scale in a DAW. Yeah. But it's just it's just like easier to I don't know. It's just easier. Yeah, why translate it twice? You know, you already you know, just Yeah, yeah, right. Leave it in numbers. Okay. So I guess my challenge is we should find a perceptible pitch test and then we should spend a week or so just training singing the numbers in any way. And then go back to the the perception test, see if you do better. That might be good. Well, I think also test. throw in some some um some like tuner plug-in exercises. Oh yeah. That'd be good too. Yeah, make sure Or just sure you're do the team. test for a week. Yeah. I'm sure that I'm sure the test, if you looked at the answer right after the example was played, I'm sure the test would help you develop it too. Yeah, that's Maybe. a good point. Yeah, no, just by just by trying to discern pitch. I'm a strong yeah. believer, I guess like across across athletics, across uh you know health across skill building your body and your brain just adapt to whatever you do um so you know if you have rough posture like me uh it, look at your life and i i sit i sit a lot you know of course i'm gonna have rough posture this is how my body exists you know and i think it's kind of the same thing you know if you tell your your brain hey i need to distinguish between these pitches and you keep telling it that eventually it'll find a way to do it I believe that too. I like it. That's my theory. I'm sticking to it. (laughs) I like it. I like your theory. I'm sold. One theory for sale. (laughs) Sold to the only bidder. Well, Blake, that's all I got. We're at the point of the episode where we're we're, uh, looking at each other going, well... Well... And by looking at each other, I mean staring into the computer screen abyss. Staring um, at our waveforms. Oh, beautiful. Well, man, let's wrap it up. That was a good one. That's that's some dense stuff, but uh, it's it's good to think about and understand, especially for, for making music. And actually, even it helped me so much, somebody who doesn't have much skill at this, just to recognize, hey, wait, I might be having an issue recreating this sound, not just hearing it. Because usually those two things just get the wires get totally crossed for me and mm-hmm. I don't know what happened and therefore I don't know how to problem solve. Um, but now it's like, wait a minute, I should, you know, try to isolate those things and practice, you know, singing with a tuner and these types of things. That'll really help me, you know, just nail vocal takes on the first take, which would be uh, such a time saver. <laughs> True. Yeah. And if, and if you want us to do more episodes like this, um, where we go into sort of sciencey stuff, um, and examine like what makes music work for human beings and why does that matter for a person who makes music if you want us to do more stuff like this email us at the tune shed podcast at gmail.com let us know we, we would Heck love yeah we would love to know we really marty will put on his lab coat and he'll do the oh, research geez. oh no <laughs> please no more research no i did i did really enjoy it though yeah no, that it was, was fun to learn about all this Sick. All right. Looking forward to the emails. And we'll talk to y'all soon. Much love. Much love. Bye, Bye, everybody. Bye. Hey, everyone. This is Blake sitting in the yard editing the episode. Um, I just figured before I play our outro music that I could give you a chance to try to recreate that pitch, at least the starting pitch, maybe the whole thing if you're feeling ambitious. And, uh, yeah, I'll just give you a second and let us know how you do. All right. I'll start it in just a minute here. It's the truth.